0: Welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on Telegram as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. You can subscribe to notifications on the website to follow the blog there. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Now, on to the episode. Leadership. What have we all been able to observe, despite the media's lies by suppression, about our national leadership over the course of these past nine months? Well, for sure our national leadership is definitely filled with incompetent people. Not only incompetent, but apparently treasonous as well. Our national leadership is quite willing to deny us, we the people of the United States of America, our constitutionally protected, God-given rights. Our national leadership is also quite willing to abandon American citizens in a foreign country, leaving them in the clutches of the evil terrorist ideology that has been at war with our nation since its beginning Our national leadership, based upon the initial, publicly available information coming out of Arizona, was put in place against the will of the people. Now remember, it is leadership on both sides of the aisle that has done this to us and is continuing to do this to us. Both major political parties share the same goal. The goal of obtaining and maintaining power. This has been the struggle for quite some time in our republic. Especially since the passage of the 16th Amendment. When politicians realize they can vote themselves and their supporters, sums of money from the National Treasury. We spoke of this back in June of this year when I discussed the Scottish professor Alexander Teitler when he wrote that democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government because people eventually discover they can vote themselves money from the public treasury. It's all part of the freedom cycle. Go ahead, Google that term, freedom cycle. Look it up. And it isn't exactly that people discovered they can vote themselves money from the treasury, but politicians that use the people to get themselves into a position of power where they control the money. The 16th Amendment gave our political class, the new aristocracy, access to huge sums of money in a never-ending supply. Our monthly, bi-weekly, or even weekly income taxes paid through federal withholding. Almost all politicians play this game, too they are in competition amongst themselves, a power competition between the major political parties whose only casualties are the American people and our liberty. But since most people do not have any real sense of history, basing most of their judgment and behaviors on their personal history, in other words, what has been happening as it has affected them personally, the long struggle is not perceptible. It's another area in which our government schools have failed us. There is little to absolutely no servant leadership in all areas of government involvement in our lives. This is what I'm offering in my campaign to represent Tennessee's House, District 12, in the General Assembly. True, conservative servant leadership. Remember when we talked about some of the foundational aspects of a servant leader? A couple of questions to answer and find out if a person placed into a leadership position is a servant leader or not. Those questions are do those who are served grow as persons? Another question asked is, do the people, while being served, become healthier, wealthier, wiser, and freer? In other words, more autonomous and more likely to become servant leaders themselves. By serving the people of Tennessee's 12th House District within the framework of the constitutions of both Tennessee and the United States of America, I will work my hardest to contribute to the growth and awareness of the citizens in understanding their role as the sole source of power and authority by which they are self-governed. To accomplish this, I'll work in the General Assembly to ensure that curriculum taught in government schools requires in-depth instruction and education on the Constitution and the rights it protects. Our government schools are one of the biggest institutions responsible for the public's unawareness of their rights The limits on government are constitutions at the state and federal level enshrined and directly contributed to the apathy of the electorate. That needs to change. Our children need to know about the uniqueness and greatness of this experiment in self-governance and regain control to ensure the governments they elect serve the people and not the other way around. This effort will contribute to citizens understanding their constitutionally protected, God-given rights so they themselves become more autonomous and more likely to become servant leaders as well. To begin this, I would like for us to get away from the phrase constitutional rights. By saying constitutional rights, it implies that our constitutions, at the state and federal level, are the documents that grant us our rights. Politicians have loved this phrase because it allows them to play word games with those documents. Like somehow reading into it that there is a constitutional right to kill unborn babies. But that's a topic for another day. There is no document on this earth that grants us our rights. Our rights come to us from our creator and our founding fathers wrote the constitution and formed a government to protect those rights, not grant them. If people are made to believe that a form of government created in a document grants us our rights, they can be convinced that government is the source of our rights. This allows them, the new aristocracy, to continuously write pretend legislation that at its foundation is designed to deprive or limit the rights freely given to us by our creator. So we need to regain control of the language first. Also, anytime you hear public schools, it means government schools. Or public anything, it means government something. Anytime you hear constitutional rights, it means constitutionally protected God-given rights. Before we move on, I'd like to pause for a word from the podcast's newest supporter. Are you looking for a vacation that offers excitement and peaceful tranquility? You can get both right here in East Tennessee. Sevierville, which is the home of Dolly Parton and the world-famous Dollywood, in addition to the many family-friendly attractions in Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, provide the fun and excitement to the tranquil backdrop of the beauty of the rivers, streams, waterfalls, hiking trails, and mountaintop views in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Sean Kelly and his family would love to encourage you to consider vacationing here at the Gateway to the Smoky Mountains. While there are several lodging companies you could choose from, Sean and his family have over 75 years of experience in the hospitality sector. If you are looking for a company with hometown values, where quality accommodations and cleanliness are paramount to your overall guest experience, look no further than Smoky Mountain Cabins of Tennessee. Book with confidence and be sure to tell the Kellys that you are their special guest to receive a 10% discount on reservations. Please be aware, though, that some restrictions do apply. So call now, toll free at 866-289-8818. You can also look at their cabins online at www.smcabinstn.com. So call now and book your vacation here in the Smoky Mountains with Sean and the Smoky Mountain Cabins of Tennessee staff. They are experts in creating mountain memories one stay at a time. Once again, the number is 866-289-8818 and the website is www.smcabinstn.com. I'm so excited to have Smoky Mountain Cabins on board. When booking with them, be sure and let Sean and his team know that you heard about them on this podcast. But back to leadership and how I am the candidate that is running as the true conservative, the servant leader for Tennessee's 12th House District. I will seek to return honest stewardship of our sweat equity to government. I'm empathetic towards the large portions of the electorate that feels like government has run away from its true purpose, that of protecting our rights and government has run straight towards control over every aspect of our lives, not what it is put into place to do. This brings to mind some recent correspondence with a state senator that represents the Senate district I live in. I live in Tennessee's Senate District 2, which is represented by Senator Art Swan. I'm sure I've mentioned him a time or two on the podcast. Well, recently, some leaders in the conservative movement here in Tennessee issued a call to action to have people that live in the districts of state senators that are resisting the call for a special session of the General Assembly, in addition to the lieutenant governor, to write them all and urge them to take action. Urge the Senate to join with the House in convening a special session. I took it a little further than just asking the senator and the lieutenant governor to take action. I reminded them of their oath, which doesn't really get a response anymore. Oaths to them are just instruments they sign in order to receive a paycheck from the Treasury, it seems. They do not take it seriously. In addition to reminding them both of their oaths, I actually pointed them to the parts of the Constitution that states where their authority is that can put a stop to this federal overreach. Of course, the primary instrument of the state's sovereign power lies in the creation of the Constitution itself. Many people, incorrectly, assume that the Constitution is an agreement between the states and the federal government. That assumption is another reason we are where we are right now. It is a false assumption brought on due to government schools not providing education on our Constitutional Republic. Do you think that is by design? An institution of the government not educating the electorate on the document that limits the government? Things that make you go, hmm... Anyway, I reminded them of the following. Here's what the Ninth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And here's what the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Now, just where would these powers delegated to the United States by the Constitution be listed? Do they change? Are they evolving? Well, in some cases, yes, they have evolved and changed since the Constitution was ratified in 1789. This is accomplished through the difficult and lengthy amendment process. But yes, they can be changed. And it is a lengthy and difficult process on purpose. But again, where are these powers mentioned in the Ninth and 10th Amendments located? Regular listeners here should know this by now, but the enumerated powers of the Congress are listed in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Nowhere in there, in those 18 clauses, does it state Congress has the authority to issue mandates requiring we the people to subject ourselves to what is still an experimental medication or any medical treatment to be exact. Nowhere in that document does it state that Congress can determine who is and who is not an essential worker. Also, nowhere in there does it state Congress can force you to wear an ineffective medical device. Also, explicitly left out of the Constitution is that the executive branch can make a law. All laws are vested in the legislative branch. It's called out specifically in Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. It states, All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. It does not state all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, except in the event of a global pandemic. In that case, the executive branch takes over the lawmaking process. The executive branch, meaning the president and any other agency that falls under the executive branch, you know, all those three letter alphabet agencies, is not authorized any legislative or lawmaking power under the Constitution of the United States. Yet here we are with mandates for this and mandates for that and rules and regulations that are designed to further drain us of our sweat equity and our liberty. Our politicians have either purposely forgotten their roles or they purposely ignore their roles and count on an apathetic electorate to circumvent the Constitution in order to exert power and control over we the people. I believe you all know what I think on this matter. They purposely ignore it and bank on us not holding them accountable. The vast majority of politicians are not servant leaders at the federal level and the state level. It is my aim to restore servant leadership to not only our state, but also work to ensure that servant leaders are elected to represent our interests at the federal level too. But back to my correspondence with Senator Swan and reminding him of what I just talked about. Article 1 section 8 of the Constitution as well as the Ninth and 10th amendments to the Constitution. He comes back with a statement that he does not believe that the usurper-in-chief, my words, not his, has greatly overstepped his executive authority with the unconstitutional mandates announced just last week. Gee, you think? Of course he has that announced last week on the reply. I guess he means previous mandates were not overstepping his executive authority either. I mean, that is how I have to take that because of the level of action taken by our state in response to the Child Sniffers' actions since being installed in the Oval Office this past January. But before I get too much more involved in Senator Swan's response, let's pause for another word from another supporter of this podcast. For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area, Virginia, I want to give a huge shout-out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics and longtime good friend Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Rose area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and the phone number is 757-962-0102. More on leadership and the apparent lack of leadership by Tennessee's lieutenant governor and several other senators, including the one that represents the Senate district I live in. Senator Swan goes on in his response to me that the constitutionality of the dementia-riddled ice cream connoisseurs' mandates will be vigorously challenged in the courts, which is the arena in which this issue will ultimately be decided, he states. What a cop-out. And what a bunch of unconstitutional reasoning. I think Thomas Jefferson would actually slap him for stating that. Although Alexander Hamilton believed that the court system would put things right if any legislative act contrary to the Constitution was deemed invalid. However, in this case, these are not legislative acts. These are mandates coming from the executive branch which has zero legislative authority, yet most Americans follow them blindly. They are blindly followed because our government education system has ensured a dumbed-down with regards to our Constitution population. Thomas Jefferson would be ashamed and angry at the position our state governments have placed themselves into by allowing the federal government to get them addicted to our sweat equity in the form of funding and grants that are only obtainable by bending the knee to the federal government. It is the complete opposite of what the Constitution established. Also, it was Thomas Jefferson that said, the true barriers of our liberty are our state governments. He goes on and says this, to consider the judges of the Superior Court, which is now known as the Supreme Court, as the ultimate arbiters of constitutional questions would be a dangerous doctrine which would place us under the despotism of an oligarchy. I know of no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, but the people themselves. This administration, as well as several others before it, is the exact reason why the ninth and 10th Amendments exist. It is up to the individual states to assert their sovereignty and put the federal government back in its place. The limited place primarily related to foreign policy and interstate commerce. Oh, how far we have fallen. Senator Swan goes on to say that our state attorney general has already called upon other states in this effort. How long is that going to take? We have all seen the court system slow roll lawsuits to run out the clock or find some way or another to determine standing in cases brought before them so they don't have to make controversial judgments or findings. He, Senator Swan, completely abdicates his, as well as the entire General Assembly's authority and responsibility with this statement. Fortunately, it does not take a special session of the legislature for this to happen. Really? As if there is any other way to quickly put a stop to federal government overreach. He then closes his opening paragraph with this statement. We will continue to remain proactive to see that voices of Tennesseans are heard in any action taken and that the constitutional rights of our citizens are protected. Of course, that will all happen after the fact, after they're taken from us and we're quashed and forced to do these mandates or people lose their jobs. How is sitting on the sidelines and letting the federal government, specifically the executive branch that does not have any legislative authority at all, run roughshod over our rights being proactive in any way whatsoever. I mean it's in the word proactive means active senator. Waiting for the court system to issue a decision one way or another is not proactive it's anti-active. Waiting for the court system is subjecting the citizens of this state to the despotism of an oligarchy. Our state government officials absolutely know they not only possess the authority under our state constitution and the constitution of the United States, but they also know they have a responsibility to act. They have sworn an oath to act. These words are in their oath. I quote, or consent to any act or thing, whatever, that shall have a tendency to lessen or abridge their rights and privileges unquote. Their rights and privilege being us, we the people of the state of Tennessee. Just as providing no input to a plan is an input, not taking action to protect against any, quote, act or thing, unquote, is an action, which begs the question of why are they not taking any action? What do the politicians gain by waiting it out? I learned something in a lecture I attended the other day, and it is this. Until we the people are politically feared, we will not be politically respected. The same thing applies to the states. Unless the states are politically feared, the federal government will not politically respect them. Our politicians, the new aristocracy at every level of government, do not politically fear we the people anymore. The federal government does not politically fear the states anymore. Therefore, they are not politically respected. The politicians do not politically fear us anymore because they have grown quite comfortable living off of our sweat equity and our apathy. By not taking action, they are counting on this to just blow over and for we the people to finally give in to the overreach by the government. Why are they able to count on it? Because the electorate has demonstrated this behavior pattern for decades in our republic. Ever since 1909, with the passage of the 16th Amendment, where the political class gained unfettered access to our sweat equity. Our government instituted federal withholding of our income taxes in 1930, but complaints led to its repeal in 1917. Yet here we are in 2021 and what do we have? Federal withholding of our taxes allowing near instantaneous access to our sweat equity. The federal government reinstituted that federal withholding to raise money for the expenses of World War II, which ended in 1945. It is 2021, and it is still going. Why? Because of an apathetic electorate choosing not to hold government accountable. They, the government, continue to rely on that. Us, we the people, shirking our responsibility for involvement in our self governance every day. Let's pause for a word from another supporter of this podcast. Mrs. A.J. DePriest is the director of Proposal Logic. Proposal Logic is a woman owned, minority owned small business located just outside Nashville, Tennessee serving federal contractors with proposal management and technical writing expertise. Since 2011, AJ has served more than 150 federal contractors on proposals for more than 200 federal agencies. While average win rates for federal proposal developers rest around 35%, AJ finished 2020 with an astounding 100% win rate for her clients. So stop losing conventionally and start winning unconventionally. If you are a federal contractor and you are ready to win government contracts, contact AJ at 615-474-2123. Again, that is 615-474-2123. Or you can email her at AJ at Proposalogic.com. Again, that is AJ at Proposalogic.com. P-R-O-P-O-S-A-L-O-G-I-C dot com. Back to leadership. Servant leadership is lacking at the state and federal level. That is why I decided to take a stand in the arena. I want to provide an example of what conservative servant leadership is to other members of the General Assembly. I also want to provide an example to the members of the General Assembly what it means to follow an oath. And it appears that servant leadership just might be a foreign concept to Senator Art Swan. In my letter to him and the lieutenant governor, I asked them to take action and provided them with the information needed in the Constitution that provided each of our elected officials with the authority and responsibility to take action. Information they should be well aware of. I believe they are well aware of it and choose to ignore it. Their reasons behind them ignoring their authorities and responsibility have yet to be discovered, though. Choosing not to follow their oaths is unethical. Do not forget why people make unethical decisions. Remember the acronym I discussed in an earlier episode? SPAM, S-P-A-M, sex, power, alcohol, or drugs, and money. We need to determine why these elected officials who swore and signed an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution of the State of Tennessee are ignoring their oaths and the Constitution's. We need to confront them at every opportunity for their abdication of authority, accountability, and responsibility to a tyrannical federal government. We cannot wait for the court system to decide what is already in the plain language of the Constitution. They've messed it up before. We have to find out if either of them, as well as the other senators that back Lieutenant Governor McNally in his efforts to fend off a special session, if they are victims of ethical spam. Some of the other senators on the list that are aligned with Lieutenant Governor McNally, we have talked about before on this podcast as well. Who can forget State Senator Richard Briggs from the Knoxville area and State Senator Todd Gartenheier from the Chattanooga area? You cannot forget Gartenheier. He's the senator that is likening the illegal alien children to Scripture and Moses. Anyway, which specific area of spam are they a victim of? These Senators routinely violate their oath and take positions that violate the part of their oaths that state they will, in all appointments, vote without favor, affection, partiality, or prejudice, and they will not propose or assent to any bill, vote, or resolution which shall appear to them injurious to the people, or consent to any act or thing, whatever that shall have a tendency to lessen or abridge their rights. Lots in their oaths to unpack, but remember, by not taking an action, they are acting. Inaction that allows overreach by the federal government that they have the duty, authority, and responsibility to protect the citizens of this state from. The good senator then closes the letter by stating that since he is a member of the state legislature and that I'm concerned about federal overreach, that I should probably contact my federal representatives. First of all, I'm sure you have all heard just what I think about the effectiveness of Senators Blackburn and Haggerty. They are about as effective as putting out a forest fire with an eyedropper and a gallon jug of water. Congresswoman Harshbarger is proving herself to be much more effective and responsive than the two senators. But they, Haggerty, Blackburn, and Harshbarger, are in the minority. What can they do? But back to telling me that I should address federal government overreach with who exactly? I should contact members of the federal government about the federal government's overreach? That's like asking Jeffrey Dahmer to be an anti-cannibalism activist or O.J. Simpson to be an advocate against domestic violence. Can he, Senator Swan, really be suggesting that the federal government be up to the task of policing itself to ensure it operates within the guardrails of the Constitution? We only have to look at the past 120 years or so of American history to know that that will absolutely not happen. I appealed to the state government because our Constitution is set up so that they are the check and balance to a federal government that is getting out of control. So, Senator Swan, Lieutenant Governor McNally as well as Senators Briggs, Gardner, Hale, Jackson, Kelsey, Lundberg, Massey, Watson, Wally, Powers, Reeves, Sutherland, Stevens, and Jaeger, read. I mean, really read the constitutions of the United States and the state of Tennessee. When reading the U.S. Constitution, focus on Article I, Section 8. In the Tennessee Constitution, focus on Article I, Section 2. You have a duty under our state's constitution to resist federal or any government arbitrary power. Non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. So quit being destructive to the good and happiness of the citizens of Tennessee that elected you to stand in the gap between us and arbitrary power and oppression from the federal government. Before we close the show, I'd like to leave you with this from God's Word. Ephesians 6, 12 For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our federal government is filled with people of evil intent. Filled with people that hate us, the citizens. Filled with people that only sees us, we the people, as sources of income for their spending and power. Their lust for power and control has driven them to treat us as subjects instead of citizens. They want to treat us that we must follow their mandates and edicts or be forced from our places of employment. They want to restrict our ability to travel freely about the country if we don't comply with their mandates. To worship only in approved places and not in the churches of our choice. They are evil and they must be made to politically fear us or we will never be politically respected. Until next week, stand in the arena with me, Reveille. It's time to wake up.